All right, hello everybody, and welcome back to another episode of PNC. What are we, Akil? Post Nut Clarity. Post Nut Clarity. Episode fifteen, and today we have the one, the only, Mr. Stuart Cooper in the house. Woo! I was trying to think <laughs> of like a good like British type of like song, but I couldn't think of one. Yeah, maybe the Beatles. Uh, Beatles, yeah, the Beatles. Yeah, or, Beatles. Like uh, Oasis. Oasis, you know. I don't know why I was thinking about like the marriage song. You know, like dun 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 dun. dun, dun. <laughs> I don't know. That's, that's the worst Just give me like do. Elizabeth vibes. But for those of you who don't know, Stuart Cooper is a jujitsu legend. He has choked me out, choked me out over like a hundred times, and not more than I have. Not in the good way that Nolan would be preferred (laughs) to be choked out. Um, But yeah, we're happy to have him on. And before we get to that, all of our guests receive a hot milk hat. Oh shit! You know, you got to keep your you got to keep your head. Safe from all the sun and all this heat. This head is huge. No, you can. It's an adjustable hat, bro. Oh my god! So you got money? Yeah. Well, I mean, we got we got we got budgeting well, yeah. mar- marketing budget. You know marketing what I mean? Budget. Yeah. So, um, welcome, Stuart. Oh, thanks for having me. How are you? I'm very good today. Enjoying this beautiful weather in Vancouver while it lasts. Yeah. No doubt. Oh, no doubt. Holy shit. A few more no weeks. Doubt. Yeah. Uh, I hope so. Like. I hope. It's been pretty hot though. I mean, I don't know if you guys have been watching all the wildfires that are breaking out in the no, in the wait, interior. no way. Yeah, like a it's huge up again. one, a huge one broke out in like Skaha Lake or around there in Penticton, and it's it's bad for some how, how reason. How far away is that from here? Probably yeah. like four hundred kilometers or so. Okay, it's not it's not gonna affect us in any way, but yeah. we might get some smoke from it. But I it's, have heard there's forest fires here in the summer sometimes. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. they haven't the been time. too bad. Every really? summer, it's like. So bad. Wow. But it hasn't been too bad this year, but like just now, I was like. For some reason, I felt like the pandemic like, canceled out all of those other issues. You know what I mean? Like nobody can get sick anymore, like yeah. just from a cold or flu. We don't have forest fires. Like nothing's happening because I feel like no one's out. Yeah. So when I hear that we have our forest fires back, I'm like, okay. Things are kind of getting back to yeah, normal. But that being said, here. like you guys know, BC is in a bad state with really COVID at the moment. Bad. It's like we're, we're, our numbers on a daily basis are higher than Toronto now. Shut the fuck up. Yeah. So they're actually been going up. Oh, yeah. We were doing good. We were doing quite well. But then I feel like as the weather turned and, you know, long weekends are coming. I mean, I, I don't, I mean, this is not a fact, but maybe it is. But I feel like after every long weekend, after like Canada Day, after August long, there's always a bit of a spike because like all the you know, people are wanting to go out and was there a long weekend that yeah august long was like was, the first yeah. weekend of august oh right right and there's like a trend like every kind of after every long weekend there's a little bit of a spike so, so it's house parties right Big yeah gatherings. i think so i think the young people are you know it's it's tough i get it don't look at me <laughs> i don't go out anymore i'm not i'm looking at you because you're right in front of me i have to look at you oh yeah you like yeah. looking at what you see? Yeah, sorry, Stuart. This is going to be our our okay. rapport. For we have a little bit of hour. sexual tension, like a really? lot of sexual tension. <laughs> I, I, it's like a one way street, though. It's like you know, going down mainland. It's like oh, one way traffic. No, 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 no. You know, it is what it is. <laughs> okay, so back to Stuart. Um, Stuart, tell us a little bit about your uh, history in in jujitsu and how you got into it, um, and, and things like that. And do you like so... to choke out other men? <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! This is a serious podcast today, okay? So, oh, sorry, um, my bad. I discovered jujitsu actually when I I was on my last year of university. So, I was how long ago was that? Uh, I was twenty-two at the time. Oh my god, I'm twenty-two. Oh. Should I get into jujitsu? Maybe. Actually, I used to do it. Just turned thirty-five now, so it was quite a while ago. That's when I first discovered it. I saw UFC on TV, like most people. And, yeah. Um, you know, like uh, I liked watching it right away, so I actually went down to um, a local MMA gym and started training Muay Thai. So I did that for uh, a few weeks and really enjoyed it. 
And after the Muay Thai lesson, they had MMA. So I went to my first MMA lesson and then everyone just kept taking me down and submitting me. <laughs> and in my eyes, that was here. more effective. <laughs> you know, I was like helpless on the ground. Because yeah. like, at the time I was always into sport, like lifting weights. So I was always quite athletic. I just remember just getting tapped so many times by this like 15 year old kid. It yeah. was half my size. Yeah. No way. Yeah, That's just, crazy. just brutalized me. And it was like, I just walked away that day and I remember thinking, right, this ground stuff, that seems to be more effective. So then I just wanted to go down the jujitsu where it was like, right, I just want to learn this ground stuff. And I didn't know what it was, but people told me that's jujitsu. So I just started training that separately. And then honestly, from day one, injuries aside, I've been training twice a day, every day, ever since I just got hooked. So I went to university, I got a degree, I got a job in London. I worked that job for maybe three months before I just packed it in and just decided I'm going to, you know, go all in jujitsu, you know, yeah. which was very uh, worrying to my parents. You know, I yeah, just got a degree, you yeah, know, totally. got a job in, you know, in <clears throat> London. And then here I am quitting my job, moving back into my parents, just because all they thought I was doing was just like a hobby. They didn't understand. I didn't have a reference. Because now you can, like, with social media, you can. You, you know, if you wanted to go down the jiu-jitsu route, you can show your parents, like, on social media, hey, look at this guy's making a living yeah. in jiu-jitsu. But this is over 10 years ago, so right. there was none of that. So the only reference I had was my professor, and he was living in a tiny little apartment in Preston, northwest England, you know, just barely getting by. But, you know, it was uh, he moved over from the favelas of Brazil, so it was better. Oh, okay. You know, so... He knows what's up. He couldn't understand why I wanted to go down this road. Yeah. Know, but... Um, yeah, it just, it's just something I just got hooked on right away. Yeah, so your your professor was from Brazil, as you said. So yeah. there's different types of jiu-jitsu, correct? There's like... Yeah, so it, there's Japanese jiu-jitsu, and that's where Brazilian jiu-jitsu comes from. From what I understand, it was uh, Helio Gracie that um, actually went over to Japan and learnt the traditional Japanese jiu-jitsu, and then they brought it back to Brazil, and they evolved it and turned it into Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. They made it more aggressive. They added on the joint locks, the knee bars, the choke holds. Whereas Japanese Jiu-Jitsu, it's very, um, I think it's more of an art form. So you could take a black belt in Japanese Jiu-Jitsu and put them with a blue belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And the blue belt would just, you know. Smash him. Smash him, yeah. So, and Nolan, how lost are you right now in this conversation? <laughs> <laughs> you know no, 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 I'm vibing. About Let's the belt system. Go. I'm just thinking about you two playing again. So <laughs> that's fine, keep going. So the belts, you know how the belts work? So yeah, I do. Actually, I used to do karate. Okay, cool, I cool, used cool. to do jiu-jitsu. I just want to make sure um, you, you. In high school, I did jiu-jitsu once. Okay. Really? Yeah. Um, but well, you think of like, it in high school. For a whole, like, 12 weeks, I did it. Did it was like really it? cool. I can like I don't remember it, but it's like that, and like you shift your weight. I remember I was in grade. You nailed it. I was probably in grade nine. It, yeah. <laughs> I was probably in grade nine, and my teacher at the time he was um, really really big in jujitsu. So he would teach um, like as a PE option that we had in our thing in our high school. Um, and then he picked me up one day and flipped me over, and I thought it was the most wildest day. But that's how I knew I liked fucking jujitsu. Yeah, I'm being thrown around. So it made you stop. Why did you? Why did you keep keep going? Uh, just the PE yeah. option ended. Oh, I, I never, see. Yeah, I've never started again. Really. You say you're 22. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, he's a, he's your guy. I might have to move to London. <laughs> oh god. And go. become a jiu-jitsu master. <laughs> That's not bad. I mean, <laughs> from an untrained <laughs> ear, that sounded pretty <laughs> British. It feels it sounded good. So, but, what type of jiu-jitsu do you do? Uh, Brazilian, so it's, Japanese. It's Brazilian jiu-jitsu, but honestly, now I don't think you can even call it Brazilian jiu-jitsu. The Brazilians did evolve it mm -hmm. and made it what it is, but then it's been evolved so much since then. You know, there's a lot of people 
uh, calling it American Jiu-Jitsu now. What? You know, like typical. Of course. typical. Of course. Yeah. Of course. I mean, yeah, I don't run around saying English Jiu-Jitsu. Yeah. You know, <laughs> British Jiu-Jitsu. It's just, it's just Jiu-Jitsu now. Yeah. You know, because it has, it's, it's just, especially in the last four years, it's changed so much. Can you it's, still it's see the difference between Jiu-Jitsu, like, in America or Brazil, compared to Jiu-Jitsu in Japan? Japan, like is um, Japanese jiu-jitsu changed? I've never really studied Japanese jiu-jitsu, so I really don't actually know, you know, much about it at all. So if you need any volunteers, I'm right here. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Noted. Write that down. Write that down. Um, so, so obviously you're pretty accomplished in the sport. Um, so, what, what are some of the highlights of your jiu-jitsu career to date? Oof. Wow. Um, in terms of, like competition, yeah, or, like, just experiences. Oh, both. Like what? Like what? Some of your highlights of like your what, where Jiu Jitsu has like done for you, whether you know through travel or competition or, or well, yeah. Thing. So, you know, I, I got hooked in it right away, and I started competing in all the national tournaments, and you know, uh, got my blue and purple belt relatively quick. And it's when I got to purple belt, I decided to move out to Brazil. To actually train jiu-jitsu full-time in the heart, you know, of, you know, Rio de Janeiro, where yeah. it came come wow. from. And but you have some good stories about Rio. I hear Rio is a yeah, time. It really has changed my life because it's allowed me to travel the world. Yeah. Right. So, um, the reason I was able to do that, it was like a blessing in disguise. When I was a blue belt, I got in a, quite a, a bad accident in jiu-jitsu. Uh, you can see the scar a little bit here. But um, I got thrown, I posted out my arm the wrong way, and my arm snapped back uh, <gasps> the opposite way. So it was only the skin holding my arm on. Yuck. So, oh my God. Yeah, it was, honestly, it didn't even hurt at the time because right. it was my adrenaline. Well, my adrenaline was going. <laughs> and it happened so fast, I didn't even realize it happened. I'm lying on the ground and I'm trying to get up. Right. And I don't understand why I can't get up. I'm like trying to post on my arm. So make sure I, you're, you're a little closer to the oh, mic. Sorry. Yeah. Um, and then. The guy I was rolling with, I just see his face and he's like, oh my God. I'm like, what? And he goes, your arm, don't look. I mean, what do you mean, don't look? <laughs> and then, like, obviously I look and my hand oh. is like back oh. here. So, but like I said, Rough. that was a blessing in disguise. I was out for a year and I couldn't do what I love to do. You know, right. what I just packed everything in to do. So I started filming, you know, training and uh, going to the local competitions and filming my teammates just making little highlights together and posting them on YouTube. And before you know it, they started getting, you know, hundreds of thousands of views. Some of oh, them. Oh, what the fuck? You know, different uh, big name jujitsu um, athletes would come to England to do like uh, seminars. So I would go to those seminars and because I was unable to actually, you know, uh, take part, I would film the seminar, do an interview with the athlete afterwards. And then post, you know, edit the video together, post it on YouTube. And I remember the one of the first ones I ever did was uh, with a guy called Ryan Hall, who's in the UFC now. Mm -hmm. And also a guy called Gunnar Nelson. Both are in the UFC. Yeah. They were relatively unknown in MMA at that time. So it's just over 10 years ago. But they got, I, I, was, I couldn't believe how many thousand views they got. You know, I think one of them got 30,000 views in one week. <coughs> and then I could see there was like, you know, uh, a little niche market there. There was no one else doing yeah, making jujitsu videos. So I had the idea, right? What if I just make a few more of these videos? Because I could see I was putting my name on each video, and they were going viral. So I reached out to a jujitsu hostel in Rio de Janeiro and said, "Hey, like, check out these videos I've made. You know, on Ryan Hall, Gunnar Nelson, Brow Esteem. I'd love to come out to Brazil and carry on making these videos, and maybe I could put your." the hostel company logo on the beginning and end of each video, like as a sponsor. Nice. And in return, all I want is a free stay and free training. 
you know, in Brazil yeah. for as long as I want. And he emailed me back instantly and said, yeah, when do you want to come? Wow. So I got the offer to move out to Brazil, <coughs> have a free place, free training, just to make jiu-jitsu videos. Oh, train shit. So Amazing. I couldn't believe that. I, get, I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to Brazil. You know, I'm 25 at this time. Yeah. So sure enough, I got Brazil, have a great time for about, I think I was there for four months. And I had had the idea in my head I would never return. I thought, you know, I'm going to love Brazil so much. It's going to be become my home. Yeah. But it never really grabbed me. So when I came back to England, I had the idea to do the same thing in Thailand. So I reached out to the world-famous Tiger Muay Thai and I showed him, gave him a few links to the videos, my YouTube channel and some of the work I've done and said, you know, offered them the same deal. I said, look, would you be interested in giving me a free training, free place to stay? And in return, I'll just make videos for the company. And sure enough, they like, yeah, said yes. And then I moved oh out gosh. to Thailand. And then I just kept doing this all around the world. Okay. You know, so, and I would make um, a little bit of money, not much, just through sponsors. You know, whenever I had a new video about to post, yeah. I'd reach out to supplement companies, you know, jiu-jitsu apparel companies and say, yeah. look, would you want your logo on this video for like $500, you know, just anything I could get really. Right. So, yeah. And then I ended up doing this from 25 to 31 wow. <laughs> six years traveling the world just making videos training and then what was that like of all those places you trained where was like where did you learn the most do you think in terms of like honing your skills as a um jiu-jitsu honestly it has to be connoisseur, connoisseur. <laughs> I, I learned a lot in brazil and I, I everyone has this idea in your head you're gonna go to brazil for three months and you're just gonna learn so much you know come back a different person you, but the problem with brazil is like you know, they don't speak, they don't teach in English. So there's a lot of details oh, there that you don't yeah, pick yeah. up. But it's great for the rolling and, the, you know, the, the culture. Yeah, and, yeah. But um, I learned a the lot girls. in America. <laughs> <laughs> um, and actually, because I spent most of my time in Thailand, I probably learned my most out there. Okay. In Thailand, because that was where I spent the most of my time. How long were you there? Um, I went out to Thailand in 2012. And I was there for probably a full year and a half before I took off to America and, you know, Brazil again, traveling around Europe. And then I kept going back to Thailand. So I was on and off, you know, uh, up till 2017. That is crazy. Uh, I ended up in Singapore for a year as well. I lived in Singapore. That was, uh, that was an experience in itself. Yeah. And, yeah. I've, I've been to so. Singapore. It's, a, it's um, an interesting place. Yeah. So I was after I was working at Tiger Muay Thai and... I became an assistant jiu-jitsu coach there and like making videos for them. I ended up going back to England for a year and then I had the offer to go out to Singapore, but Singapore is a different culture. It's um, very like work, work, work. They have one day off a week really? and they have long days. So I was teaching eight classes a day, six days a week in Singapore. And that's just like Holy. how it is over there. And it was just not sustainable. So after a year, I just packed it in and actually moved back to Thailand. And then I became the head jiu-jitsu coach of Tiger Muay Thai. So I stayed there for another two years. So I went from teaching eight classes a day, six days a week, to two classes a day, five days a week. No, much better. For the same money, but in a cheaper country. Yeah. It was a no-brainer. No and doubt. plus the things... Yeah. I have a question. Who's Tiger Muay Thai? Tiger Muay Thai. <laughs> He's is, not a guy. Um, oh. It <laughs> has to be the what? biggest MMA gym, maybe in the world, definitely in Asia. Okay. And it's become very popular over the years because now, when I first went out there, they had uh, Roger Huerta, Brian Ebersol, but now Tiger Muay Thai um, have, you name it, you know, they've got uh, Valentina Shevchenko, Alex Volkanovsky, you know, Israel Adesanya was there on and off, Dan Hooker, uh, Merbeck uh, Tusevov, and... 
they've just got so many UFC fighters now. It's like one of the places to go if you want to, to have train. a career in MMA. Oh, okay. To yeah, you can actually go out to Thailand and live, yeah, comfortably live good. You know, like for cheap. You can get a big house with a swimming pool. You know, for you know, like maybe like eight hundred dollars a month. Oh, so where I, I'm paying, let's head out. He's the fuck <laughs> out. It's, it's different. Um, right now, I'm paying like close to nineteen hundred a month. I was paying that's a third of that for a house that was three times the size. Holy shit! Yeah. It's just different out there. Different know? lifestyle. Different lifestyle. Totally. Yeah, that's why I yeah. we, we talked a few episodes ago about, you know, my favorite place to travel is Thailand because the mix of the culture, the lifestyle, affordability of it, the food, and all that kind of stuff. I want to visit Thailand. You should. Sure. 100%. You need to go need before to you get to Bangkok. an age where, Yeah, exactly. You go to Bangkok. You go, just go for so you can say Bangkok, Bangkok all the time. Exactly. Okay, Stuart, so how did you, how did you land in Vancouver? Like all this traveling, you're traveling to like exotic places like Singapore and Thailand and um, wherever else. Uh, how did Vancouver yeah, why end up being fuck home? Vancouver. So, in, <laughs> what's wrong with you? <laughs> in 20, I think it was 2013, uh, Ryan Diaz actually came out to Tiger Muay Thai. And he'd oh. been there on and off. Who's Ryan years, Diaz? Uh, Ryan Diaz Ryan owns Diaz. Uh, DCS. Um, DCS, DCS Combat Sports. Yeah, DCS Combat Sports. Which is where I work right now. Is that a thing? That's where I teach now. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's, that's where I, I go. Well. That's where I, I train. Oh, is that where? Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so Sorry, back Shout story. out to DCS. He actually was um, you know, a very successful MMA fighter. He, he was the king of the cage flyweight champion, I believe, Yeah. you know, back in the day. He's fought like Mark Harmonic. He's fought some, you know, Hermes Franca, some really big names. Yeah. So... He was always coming out to Tiger Muay Thai for training camps, and then he had a fight in one championship coming up, and I happened to be there, and then that's where we met. We trained together a little bit. Oh, he was still fighting at that time? Sorry? He was still fighting, yes, competing? Yeah, I believe that the, the fight he was there for, that was his last one. Oh, uh, okay. Um, before he decided to you know, actually you know, set up his own gym in Vancouver. Yeah. So that's where I met him, and we stayed in contact over the years. You know, He would come back and forth still to do a bit of training. Yeah. And then it was in 2017, he came out with Colton, you know, Colton, one of yeah, the, the, the little prodigy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Colton, yeah. Colt 45. A, a fight in Thailand. And then he just messaged me saying, hey, do you want to meet up? And then, yeah, we went, for, went for like some lunch together and he just planted the seed. He's like, hey, like, what do you think about coming out to Vancouver? Yeah. And I'm like, huh, you know, it's like a possibility. Like, you just put, put it in my head. Have you ever been to Vancouver at that point? I had, yeah. yeah. I should have some family here. Okay. Oh, nice. family. And um, I came out when I was 14, 15. I have really good memories of it. You know, I really liked it when I was here. I was here Not for that about a month. Place. <laughs> I think it's great. You don't know where I could. I think when you're born in a place like Vancouver, you're so used to it. Oh, totally. You know, if you were brought up where I was brought up, like in Preston, uh, Northwest England, there is nothing there. What it is, is it's just super like just nothing to do you got nothing to do wow. there's no like lakes beach mountains like nice hikes it's like hikes bad weather fun. it's just you know just dull is it, is it like a factory industry type of town or what's their Brick main thing everywhere? everywhere yeah yeah i, I know when you I watch those like uh you know really old school english films yeah you know, yeah, yeah, like, yeah yeah it's like that you know i always have that gray yeah look That's yeah it. so for me vancouver is great yeah, I mean, Vancouver is very pretty. It's We hate on it so a little great. bit, but we do love it. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't want to go anywhere else. Her water's pretty good. <clears throat> yeah. What was the water like in Preston? 
Oh, <laughs> there's a river right next to the house that I was living in with my parents. It's like a, a floating turd, you know. Yeah, just, Ew. Just, yeah. And all it's the like pollution the goes in. It's just like this brown river. What's what's the nearest big town to Preston in Manchester? Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Manchester. Manchester's okay. You know, London's great. You know, yeah, London's in London. Manchester's like a really small version of London. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I've been to London a few times. Not a huge fan, but. Really? Yeah, it's just, it's expensive. It's, it is. Expensive. I'm not a huge city. Like, you know, like, I like New York a lot, but I can only visit it. Like, London's like, it's just everything is so dense and mm. and busy. You feel so insignificant. You know what I mean? Because gotcha. there's just so many people and it's just, it's just like, yeah, I get overwhelmed for me. You know, and it's just, I'm not a real big city guy. I like a kind of a small city. Like, anything like, You're a small even, town girl. even Toronto is like a bit too big for me. Really? Yeah. I mean, I like there to visit there, but like, I can never live in a massive city like Chicago, Toronto, New York, L.A. Even it's just too much. It's too much. Uh, yeah. Too much. Too much. Too much. Shit. Sensory. Yeah. Overload. Yeah. Sensory yeah, overload. I can handle it. Um, you know what I wanted to ask, which Nolan, you might find interesting, is that there's so many interesting fucking names in jujitsu, like for oh, yeah. the moves, like the Kimura, the yeah. Omoplata. You know, we are naked choke. No, yeah, yeah. You Say that naked, again. The rear naked choke. Okay. Saddle. Yeah. So there's like, like who, like who I bet you use that one a lot. I do use that one a lot. Yeah, who comes up? Like, how do these names even get invented? Are they invented so, by? So a very fa- like um, there's the Delaheva guard and the reverse Delaheva mm-hmm. guard. They were named that after fucking cool. R- Ricardo Delaheva. So he's like one of the first guys. He actually like started doing that style. Yeah, that move. That, that particular move. So yeah. They named it after him. The Kimura. I'm not sure that. I think that comes from. I'm not sure. I think his name was his name Kamora. I'd have to I have no idea. Kamora Lee Simmons. Yeah, yeah exactly. No. Gonna be life for the fast lane. No, not Kamora yeah, Lee Simmons. Yeah, the saddle. I don't know where that's like. Uh, that has a few names. That particular configuration of the legs. Yeah. It's got like some people in America call it the four eleven. In over in Australia, they call it the saddle, and other the parts of nine. America they call it the honey hole. <laughs> the honey hole. The honey hole. Hello. <laughs> so it's interesting because I think a lot of the moves are named after people. Like I would like the Delahiva. Yeah. Oh, the Oma Plata, is that a person too? Yeah, I don't know Could about be. that one. Don't judge. But then there's other things like really the rear naked choke, about it. which are just yeah. like a choke from the back. Yeah, no. Yeah, yeah. It's, and it's, and some of them are pretty obvious, like heel hook, <laughs> yeah, knee bar. Butterfly guard and shit like that. Guard, Those are just like, you know, yeah. the way they look. But it's really interesting. Some of these like weird, like super like exotic names. I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah. Like, you actually uh, learned uh, the 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu style. They, Eddie Bravo, he really came up with a name because a lot, some of these moves don't even have names. Yeah. They're very simple. But Eddie Bravo purposefully named all of his moves in his systems and gave him names like Crackhead Control. Oh. <laughs> the, the zombie. Keo needs a little bit of that. Yeah, no <laughs> he, he came up with some funny names for his, uh, for his moves. It's interesting, man. It's super interesting. Totally. So, Keo, when did you get into Jiu-Jitsu and how did you meet Stuart? Well, because I've been training at DCS for quite a while now. Doing... So you've always done Jiu-Jitsu? No, no, no. I was, oh, okay. just, I was there doing kickboxing. Okay. And then obviously, like, you know, Anthony Bourdain took up jujitsu later in life. Um, a guy I don't know who that up, is. You know, Anthony Bourdain. Like, oh, right. I'm sorry. Yeah, he, Saying it again. Look just... him up. Look him up. He's a very famous <laughs> uh, foodie. You know, he committed suicide, actually. And oh. it was super kind of random. But anyway, he picked up picked it up pretty late in life. Um, Joe Rogan, I listened to his podcast. He talks about it crazy. Um, and then I see it, and I'm like, I don't know if it's for me. Like, I never took wrestling in high school. Um, obviously, I had a rugby background, but like, I don't have any aspirations at my age to like do MMA or anything right. like that. But you know, learning new stuff has always been something on my radar. 
And then, you know, Stuart's name came up and he's one of the best coaches in the city, if not, you know, the best North America. Um, so, you know, we, we took one class and I really kind of took, and it was, he's a really good instructor. So anyone out there looking to get into it, hit him up at DCS. Um, and the one thing I really kind of liked about it, it was how humbling it was. You know what really? I mean? Like, I feel that, um, a fairly good athlete in a general sense, but like, like he was, a, like Stuart said, he was getting tapped out by 15 year olds when he was 22 right. who were half his size. And like, you know, Stuart's a big, a big, thicker guy, but like I probably outweigh him by like 20, 30 pounds or something like that. And he's, and he's obviously an expert and I'm the novice and he's choking me out like doing with one arm, like doing half, like nothing. So, so I'm like, holy fuck, this is like, such, it's like an art. You know right. what I mean? It is a martial art and it's a, an art form. And you know, I, I just really took to it. I was, it was kind of addicting. You know what I mean? Cause like there's so many different moves and there's a flow to it. And there's a sequencing to it. Yeah, you have to, to have it. that rhythm, right? Yeah, you, like, from it. you move into one move, and then that doesn't work, and then you have another thing that could be exposed, and then you're almost yeah, like you're trading effort together. Yeah, you're like in a, you're like almost in a dance in a weird kind of way with your the person you're rolling with. So I mean, it was just a really um, new new thing for me, and, and I loved I loved learning it, and also obviously as a as a quote unquote type A male, it's kind of good to be able to like feel confident that you know you can ha you can handle yourself in any situation because you know most most street fights end up on the ground and you know you want to be able to protect yourself and protect your family and, and all that kind of stuff which is you know a subset. are you at a major risk no fight <laughs> i'm just saying it's good to you know you you want to be able i anyway want to be able to know that especially in this covid world where you who knows if martial laws could be right around the corner i want to be able to right. be, feel confident that i can protect my family against like the common, I mean, if they're all stewards walking around, I'm a fucked anyway, I better get a couple <laughs> guns. But you know, we're not in America, so we don't have to really worry about that too much. So yeah, I mean, I think it's just great. And it's also um, like f for exercising, like I'm a huge proponent of exercise and I don't want to do, you know, I don't want to cycle seven days a week. I don't want to swim seven days a week. I don't want to box seven days a week. So also there's another level of um, fitness that Absolutely. I can add to my routine. Um, and it's so different than anything that I currently do mm -hmm. that it just was, it really fit into my kind of my fitness routine. And my fitness I feel like schedule. things like this, which are kind of like an art firm brings along, brings about a lot of like peace and yeah. stuff like that as well. Like does, would you say that jujitsu brings a lot about like, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of inner yeah, peace no, and like, yeah. Stuart knows more stressed people. Out, um, there's no, it's there's almost no, like a mental health thing as it, well. Oh, you know? it really is. That's what a lot of people do do it. They always, there's like the saying, like, jujitsu saves lives, you know, jujitsu changed really? my life. It really does for a lot of people. Um, it's like you could be having the worst day, you know, like. And why do you, why do you in, think it does that for people? I think it's, there's something very natural about fighting. Like when you're like, um, it's like a, we've got like some, we've got these caveman instincts, haven't we? You know, right. there's something about, I don't know what it is, but when you go and like, to train and you're strangling someone you use all the energy in your body <laughs> yep. and they're strangling you and you're literally Feels real good a, you're having a fight you're having games of death but you're not killing each other so after that after like one hour of jujitsu where you're just trying to strangle the shit out of each other afterwards you're like your mind is so still and there's just no anxiety there's just you just feel so relaxed so you've got all that that uh, pent up like antsiness and aggression out of you like it's like I, I noticed if I don't, um, I had knee surgery uh, last year. I couldn't do jujitsu for, um, it was going on almost six or seven months, like no jujitsu. Right. And I felt considerably different. I knew what it was. I just wasn't able to get out, you know, all my tenseness. And I just, I didn't feel as good, you know. 
But when I'm training every day, I get my jiu-jitsu every day, I just feel calm and chill all the time. You know? Right. And if I'm having a bad day, like haven't maybe I haven't rolled for a few days, I just know it is. Just go and have a few ra- rounds with people and then I'll feel better afterwards. What I find really interesting is, I mean, you can attest to this more than I can, but I feel combat sports, whether it's jiu-jitsu or um, MMA or kickboxing or whatever, people kind of think it's like, oh, these are like, you know, asshole, fucking tough guys. Really aggressive. Yeah, really aggressive people like that. But most of the people that are at GCS are super chill outside. Obviously, normal people. Yeah, when you're sparring and stuff, obviously you're a bit more aggressive. But outside of that, they're they're like the most calm, like level-headed people in a general sense yeah. that I've really ever seen in any, like I know more, more assholes that take spin class. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like guys yeah. on spin are like it's fucking more like you're saying, you get assholes. humbled. Yeah, you know, exactly. You very quick. And you find the assholes that do, do come to jujitsu and try it, if they, you see like the truth in people, you know, they don't last. Yeah. Assholes. Except for that one guy. Egos. There's one guy at DCS that's lasting. Oh really? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if he does. Shout out asshole at DCS. Yeah, yeah well, he probably doesn't listen to the show, but yeah, we'll see if he does. He just hasn't <laughs> choked out enough yet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but I think it's. I mean, I think you know. Obviously, like Nolan has um, come to a couple of fitness classes that we hold through our hospitality company. And I think. I think honestly that you would probably enjoy it. It's like I. I the more I'm listening to it, I feel like it's definitely something. Yeah, I'd I feel it's kind of try. a barrier yeah. to yeah, entry. It's so much fun. People, I do as an instructor. Do you find that? Some people, it, it's maybe intimidating a little bit to like either females or, oh, you know, people that it's, may have not wrestled or something. It's uh, for the first I have wrestled. Times, intimidating. Not you. I'm just talking about general Sorry. people. <laughs> <laughs> but it is, um, you know, because it was intimidating for me when I first started. I yeah. remember going along to my first few lessons and just seeing, uh, well, it was an MMA gym I went to. So yeah. everyone's all jacked yeah. up, bald heads, tattoos and Kind of it took hard. a lot of <laughs> yeah, a lot of courage to go into that class. Yeah. I was like, oh my god, I'm not sure I want to go in there. But I right. just I think I find it's the first the first lesson's the hardest is turning up for the first time, especially when you don't know anyone. Yeah. And just but then as soon as you go into the lesson you realize how friendly everyone is. Yeah. I mean that the first gym I went to wasn't the friendliest, but when I moved back <laughs> up north from my parents, I found a local jujitsu gym. I actually remember looking through the window in my car so I'd already trained a little bit and I looked through the window and I saw these black belts in there these intimidating looking guys and it's like oh, I'm not sure I, I, I actually changed my mind I'm like right fuck it I'm not gonna go in Yeah. I got back in my car I turned the engine on then the door opened and then my professor came out and he's like hey are you here for jujitsu?" I'm like uh, yeah <laughs> he's like right come on in I'm like okay so I turned the engine off went inside and then yeah, he just sat me at the side and said, you, you, do you want to join in or do you want to watch? I was like, no, I'll just watch for this. You know, That's really this interesting one. things like that happened because I feel like it's so meant right? for you to, yeah. like, you, like, I feel like this is what you were meant to do. Yeah, what if that he didn't open Yeah, I didn't door, come know? and open your door. Like, who would back, go to? Yeah, who knows? Who knows? That's crazy to but me. But it was like, his personality and how warm he was around me. He, like, and everyone in there, everyone was so friendly. I'm like, oh, this is not kind of what I thought. Everyone's really nice here. Yeah, exactly. I and mean, it made me want to go back again. So same thing. And that testament to Stuart. Like I, when I, that was a barrier for myself. Like I had done kickboxing for quite a while, but jujitsu was something completely foreign to me. And I was like, fuck, am I? I know I'm gonna get fucked up. Like you know, you don't, you get, you're gonna get tapped. Like you, there's no one who starts jujitsu and doesn't get tapped. Doesn't like hurt. If, I can like fucking this mother, this guy like <laughs> this is, he is so thick like I say he's like thirty pounds lighter than me or something like that but when he like is like putting pressure on me with his body weight it feels like he's like four hundred pounds I could barely even breathe this is gonna be a great <laughs> podcast then, to listen to later yeah <laughs> and he struck me out so many times when my neck is actually pretty weak 
like you know when you like crack your neck or crack your knuckles like mm-hmm. sometimes he like chokes me and you could hear this pop i'm like and it's just like my trachea that's not my neck it's like my throat it's, it's fuck, like it's your spine crack and then i'm like trying to be all tough like mm, yeah, i'm good i'm good but inside i'm like fuck me that fucking i want to just leave and yeah. actually the first time we rolled i don't think i've ever told you this um, I did. I knew how oh, tapping out and what it was, but I didn't know when to tap out. So I didn't know if I should tap out at the beginning. And I'm like, I don't want to be fucking pussy. Yeah, this is my first class. Like, right. so I like kind of held on as long as I could for the first choke, and I almost went out. Oh, and, then, <laughs> and then, yeah, and then I tapped because I didn't want to tap out too soon because I don't want to think, oh, this new guy fucking like you know, he's fucking the joke. So, but then for the next like five minutes uh, that we were, he was coaching me. I was like, all like, like it was like Sing great. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, fuck, I should have tapped out way sooner. So you're supposed to tap out when you're feeling like, yeah, so the whole goal as, of jujitsu yeah. is to choke somebody. It's the, the aim is to make them tap, make them give up. And okay. Essentially what that is, if it's an armbar, it's like I'm tapping because my arm's about to break. If it's Wait. a chokehold, yeah, I'm tapping because I'm about to I'm about to die. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it literally is games of death, yeah. you know. Like, so there's so much trust with right. your partner, you know. Have like, you ever experienced trust. someone dying on you? No, not on you, but like, <laughs> no. have you been in atmospheres where someone has died accidentally? No, no, I haven't oh, actually. Okay, yeah, I really haven't. I mean, obviously, accidents happen. You know, broken bones happen every now totally. and again. People do get put to sleep, but you know, you got to just make sure that yeah, you know. If you put someone to sleep, you know to like do. you let go, and like yeah. they don't like if Hopefully. they go to sleep, they don't die. Like you know, you see that all the time in UFC. People yeah. don't tap and they go to sleep and then they wake up in like a minute or whatever. By go to sleep, you mean like knocked like, out? No, like yeah, go unconscious. Okay, like yeah. choke you out so you don't have any air left and to your brain. And I put someone to sleep by accident the other uh, week. Actually, I was demonstrating a move, and I didn't realize, but his arms were kind of caught uh, i'm not sure I, I, I don't know why he didn't tap if he couldn't tap if his arms were in a particular way but i was demonstrating a choke and it's one of those sneaky chokes it creeps up on you yeah. really slowly yeah. a blood choke and it's one of those where you don't feel like you're going out but then all of a sudden you're out yeah and i'm demonstrating the choke and i'm really pulling i'm like why isn't he tapping and then all of a sudden i realize his body's just limp <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh damn so i could, luckily it was i i, I noticed it right yeah, away yeah, yeah. so you just grab the feet you lift the feet up, and then the ro- the blood rushes back to the head, and then he was fine. Was it in class? Yeah, where people were like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> no, he was fine. So like, scary. You know. yeah. Oh my god! But that's not that bad. I mean, no, like, it's not. I'd rather get. Big of a I, honestly, I'd rather get choked unconscious than have my get like in a heel hook or, oh, or yeah. like an arm What's bar. What's a heel hook? It, like, it's uh, where you wrap two of your legs around one of your opponent's legs, so you're securing the leg, and then you wrap uh, both your hands with what's called a gable grip around their heel and you bridge your hips into their kneecap and basically it's one of the there's an inside heel hook and an outside heel hook the inside heel hook is probably the most devastating submission in jiu-jitsu it was actually it's illegal in a lot of competitions because if you don't tap and someone really bridges the hips in pretty much your knee is gonna shatter everything in there is gonna rip all your ligaments gone ACL, MCL, meniscus it's all just gonna get torn like this. Yep. Yep. Oh my gosh. Um, I don't know. I don't know. We had a random visitor there. I don't yeah. know who that was. Who was that? I don't know. She, she looked good she though. She walked in like, <laughs> this is my right fucking studio. Yeah, come on in. I think it's for, for our other podcast studio there. Yeah, but fucking, so like all these like arm bars and like basically they put your joints in like whether it's your ankle, your knee, your shoulder, your elbow in these positions where they will break. Interesting. And so like that's tapping from pain. Versus tapping from like, like losing air. 
you know? Yeah, yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Like like some of the chokes from behind, you could get if you don't get it on your neck, you get it right around your chin. I think that's how um fucking what's his name did uh, Conor McGregor. Uh yes, Khabib. Yeah, Khabib. Yeah, and yeah. like he so just face cranked him. Yeah, face cranked. Yeah. So you're like like your arms right around your chin, and like you're choking him, but you're also like breaking his chin. Yeah, oh, like it feels nice. like your jaw is going to explode. Yeah. So great. Yeah. That's yeah. when you tap, like boom, boom, boom. Yeah. Right. MMA I mean, is a little bit different. Yeah, it's fucking, it's, yeah. it's, it's fucking That's savages. Crazy. But Nolan, I mean, we, we were up in Kelowna this weekend, and Nolan showed me some of his fucking strength. Oh yeah, I yeah. bruised the fuck yeah. out of his chest. Why don't you, why don't you grab, Fast. grab Stuart's arm and get, show him how you're? No, let's do this again. <laughs> Just grab. It. I want to see. Can't. They made so much fun of me because apparently I can't. I don't have a good grip. Well, show him. Just grab. Just grab his arm. Get ready. As hard as you can. <laughs> <laughs> this is gonna be a good time. Do you feel anything? Can you show no. him your bruise? Do you still have it? Yeah, he like bruised my ditty. All there, baby. <laughs> that was his one hand though. I don't ever seen him do a two hand grip. But his face, he's so intense, and he's like, yeah. And we're like all pretty stoned, and he's like, Urgh! and he was trying so hard, and I just started. I feel bad. I apologize. I was just laughing. Such so a much. bully. Such a fucking bully. <laughs> yeah, but you know he's strong. He's big. And he does his fucking I'm a face. fucking thick ass guy. Yeah, right? fucking good at. Yeah. Sorry, it was a scary <laughs> fucking moment. I'm gonna do a fucking what's that thing called? A rear rear naked, naked choke. Rear, yeah, naked rear choke. naked choke. Yeah, I mean, fuck. But the thing is, that there's so many moves, so many sequences, so many counters, so many pathways. Yeah, it's it's, it's fucking insane. It's it like it's like you never forever. stop learning. It's well, there's um, so many pathways in the sports itself. But I also feel like from hearing what you've shared on our podcast today, like. You have so many pathways that were created from the sport into other aspects of your life. Like, yep. how would you would you have ever thought at 22 years old, um, being a like getting into jiu-jitsu at that age that you would have then ventured into social media and learning no. what that can do for you, and then learning uh, like inner peace and mental health and like all these other aspects. It's yeah from this I, one sport. I it's, it's I could be here all day. So you know. Uh, Describing all the different things it's done to my life, uh, right. and obviously one of the main ones for me is like confidence, you know, and self-esteem. When I first turned up to jujitsu the first time, I mm -hmm. was so shy. I would there's no way I'd be sitting here doing this <laughs> really? right now. I couldn't even look people in the eye. It was uh, I was incredibly like shy, like wow. when I started at 22. I was a completely different person, you know. So just. I think a lot of it is obviously maybe getting older, life experience, traveling, meeting different people, but obviously right. jiu-jitsu itself, because it's so close. You're so like, you have to, when you turn up to jiu-jitsu, you're like, you're grabbing each other, you're hugging each other. You, you, you find to, you're stepping out of your comfort zone a lot. Yep, that's what you're doing, yeah, and then it just becomes normal, you know, it's so, uh, yeah, it's, um, you know, it's gone, sent me around the world, you know, I've now... You know, making all these different videos, it's, yeah, it's really crazy. I and would is never that what you're doing now? Um, I'm focusing more on uh, training myself right now. For, okay. There's a tournament coming up in Poland next month. Is it next month or are we on? No, October 3rd. What so, about COVID? Is that still a thing? Well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm going to have to quarantine for two oh, okay, weeks. I mean, back. apparently it's still going on. It's in Poland, October 3rd at the ADCC trials. Um, as of now, it's still going ahead. I wouldn't be surprised if it got cancelled because everything else is mm -hmm. getting yeah. cancelled. So... I haven't got my hopes. I'm training for it as if it's happening, mm -hmm. but who, I mean, who knows? Yeah, how's how's so how's it been with training yourself in this new COVID world? Is it? Been, I'm assuming it's been pretty challenging because you can't 
distance at all when you're yeah. when you're rolling. So when the lockdown first happened, I I needed I'd just come back from a match in England and I needed some t- rest anyway because I really damaged my neck, mm-hmm. you know, pretty bad. So I needed that time off. So and one of the, I lost my last match, and the reason I lost is because I gassed out. I just mm. come back from knee surgery. I didn't do any running at all. What does gas? Gas. Oh, I, I got tired. Oh, okay. Yeah, completely just like fatigued. You know, where my body just wasn't working. All right. the moves I know, all of my jujitsu that you just I forgot it all. I just I didn't forget it. My body just didn't respond. It's like right. when you get out of a car and you have no gas it's, in the car, and yeah. you're just like go 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 go. So sense. when yeah. the lockdown <laughs> happened, I started running. You know, every day. And then I improved my cardio. So that was like good in that sense. It gave my neck and the rest of my body a rest, but I improved my cardio. And then yeah. after a few months, uh, one of the students at DCS, me and him just rolled privately every day. So yeah. just me and him. So I knew who, who I'd been yeah, around. Yeah, it's like I your knew. bubble. Yeah, we had our little bubble. You know? right. So and I was able to train him like every day. And then, you know, yeah, as we're slowly kind of easing back into yeah. normal life, the new normal, which I don't like saying that. Yeah, I yeah. hate yeah, it's, it's, it's just normal. It's, it's not even. Yeah. It's just normal. This is it. It's life. Yeah, I fucking hate it. So yeah, my train. I've actually getting around it. The, the anytime fitness is back open now, so I'm you know back doing my squats and deadlifts and you know yeah, I've you are. a few. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've got like my training partners that I train with every day. So yeah, train is good. You know, how often do you guys train? Once a week. Yeah, Ish. once a week. Yeah, I probably need to pick it up because, like, like I said, it's it's so much. Yeah, like, and I, mean, I'm like, I, I was able to bruise you, bro. Okay, come on, listen, man. What the fuck? Listen, but it's like, you have to like you have to just like repeat the moves and repeat that you have to drill and roll, yeah. and then it's different. Like when I go with him, he's like letting me do the move to get the pathway. Mm. Whereas if I'm rolling with anyone else live, they're not going to be. They're going to be actively trying to stop me. Yeah. get into those positions so you know obviously right now my next thing i should probably be going to classes but like i'm still a little like fuck a little gun shy because i'm like do i know enough am i gonna get choked out by a 12 year old girl and be that guy <laughs> nah, so it's like yeah. fuck i don't know what to do so it's i mean similar to, i suppose hitting pads yeah and then sparring. hitting pads for a long time getting good in the pads and then going to sparring yeah the same thing really yeah it's interesting to, to me that i feel because i feel like if you're in a match with a 12 year old girl obviously you have a couple more like pounds on her like you're mm-hmm. a lot stronger than her yeah um but it's crazy to me that in jiu-jitsu that somebody who is like 12 years old could beat you oh yeah like, it's not about yeah. like how strong you no. are it's about how yeah. tactical you definitely are, help strength does help but if you were to take someone who's strong but untrained doesn't mm-hmm. know anything about jiu-jitsu and you put them against uh a girl that's actually like purple belt, even a good, or even a girl or boy, whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's you know, if they get in the right position, it's going to be over. Interesting. You know, there's actually a girl, um, a really good blue belt in my gym called Hannah, and I'm rolling with her one day, and I showed her how to do a proper rear naked choke the, the proper way, right? Because you know? once if you do it the proper way, when the hand goes behind the back of the head, there's no defense at that point, it's over. And I'm rolling light with her, you know, just going easy, you know, yeah. giving her the right reactions, and I let her get my back. But I wasn't going to let her choke me. <laughs> I didn't think for a second she would be able to. But then, boom, she quickly whipped that hand behind the back of my head. And I'm going out. I had to, <laughs> she made me tap. <laughs> and then that was me. I know how to defend right. a choke as well. So if she was to do that, you know, to me, self-defense, you, yeah. we'd be done. Don't. Dead. No, I think no. all girls should learn to do so, actually. <clears throat> yeah. I think it's incredibly important. I think all police should learn it to a, a hundred percent. You know, I think that whole George George Floyd thing would not have happened if that policeman knew anything about jiu-jitsu, That wouldn't have happened. Totally. Uh, so, 
Yeah, it's they, shocking how many the police. They don't really have that much training. No, all, not physical it? training. Like physical I mean, it's, training. It's, it'd be super helpful because then they wouldn't reach for their gun so quick. You know, if they yeah. know how to like, if they're confident enough how, and how to subdue um, a perpetrator or whatever, then they can easily do that without having to. You know, the next resort to resort to fucking shooting yeah. someone. You know what I mean? I think there's a lot of things our cops need to learn how to yeah. do. Yeah, <laughs> it's very interesting. Very interesting. So jujitsu obviously is. I'm a big proponent of it. So if you're out there, give it a go. Another good thing that Stuart was talking about was obviously the the like state of mind and like you know that's what intrigues <clears throat> me most about all of this is how you can reach a level of like self actualization and like peace from such an aggressive sport. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you 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 consider yourself a spiritual guy? Um, yes, I would actually. Yeah, and yeah. Do you, have you always been, or has that kind of come on like later in life? Uh, definitely haven't always been, no. No, I, I, I think I became much more, I suppose, uh, it's, it's a bit of a strange term, isn't it, spiritual? I don't like yeah. saying it, I feel yeah. it sound like I feel like I get But you hear people, I'm spiritual, I'm like, oh, no, I don't mean it like that, I mean like <laughs> but self-aware yeah, no, yeah. or fucking believing no, in that, all shit. That happened to me when I was probably 31. Okay. It's 31. Actually, after a psychedelic experience. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. God, it's always yeah. psychedelic. They're the best, bro. Yeah. True. Honestly, like, um, before, like, it really was, it really was like a, a self-awakening. You yeah. Know? When you look at how you were before and afterwards, after yeah. an experience like that, it's like, wow. You know, it's, it's crazy. Like, Damn. You know, I used to be like that. I used to say stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Strange. Yeah. yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no one's just some sign language here. Yes. <laughs> yeah, martial arts definitely help you go down. I think it was, you know, slowly changing anyway. Yeah. yeah a bit of combination of traveling, psychedelics, martial arts. <laughs> That's a great combination. Yeah. You guys should be friends. Yeah. We are friends. How do you think you got on here? Um, so you want to talk a little bit about this spiritual, this little uh, epiphany you had? Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, we talk, me and Nolan, like, we We always talk about it, like, you know, Nolan is fairly, I would say, new, new to, to, the, to the mushroom psychedelic okay. experience. Yeah. Um, so I think the more, again, no pressure, but, like, I talk about, about, about it quite a bit, and he's probably sick of hearing me talk about it, but... You know, so this I'm just concerned for your well-being because we talk about <laughs> drugs a lot. But they're like they're like psychedelic natural drugs, not like we're talking about fucking so cocaine, two C and cocaine. <laughs> Maybe that's another epi. Heroin's also natural, so okay. Well, it's, it's cut been, with a bunch it's been of fucked around with those. Yeah. Right? Okay. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, back to your little. <laughs> yeah. So I, I first discovered psychedelic. I had a mushroom experience actually when I was. 22 I think just before jiu-jitsu and I yeah. think that actually had a lot to do with when I had that was in Amsterdam Ooh. And, um, another place on your that list that is bro. when I had my first job in London sat behind a desk yeah. you know doing 8 till 6 it wasn't even 9 till 5 it was on 8 till 6 sat behind a desk and a computer you know just not having no passion for the job that I had whatsoever I remember going to Amsterdam for a week and had a mushroom experience and I really truly believe that was that made me question what I was going to do in life. It's like, yeah. right, am I going to sit behind a desk and just do admin work for the rest of my life? Am I going to, am I going to like sit in an office and smoke cigarettes and drink coffee and just, you know, no, I went like, so I'd be a corporate slave. Yeah. So I think that experience really did like push me down, like made me question like society and the system we're pushed into right? and how I didn't want to go down that route. You have one life. I only live once. 
So you've got to make the most of it. There's no sequel to this. 100%. that I know of. <laughs> but um, <laughs> then, um, so I went down the jiu-jitsu route. And then, as I told you, I was like traveling the world for quite a long time. Uh, the problem with all the traveling, though, I was always jet lagged. There was a, a period where I was like, in like Oregon, then Miami, then Sao Paulo, and then Rio, then Ibiza, then Sweden, and then Thailand. Whoa, whoa, is this for sport Holy or is this shit. for fucking partying? Yeah, this was actually for filming. filming okay, because that sounds like going a from job to dream. Job. A fucking good ass time. Yeah. Well, like it sounds it, but if you're traveling that much, you just, you know, you only get a few days in each place. Yeah. Your body, there's something about flying and it's the hard. jet lag. It's, time zones. It really and shit. fucks you up. Yeah, it totally. does. And um, I started to suffer with a little bit of insomnia. Okay. Um, and really struggling sleeping. So I went to the doctor to give me diazepam. And then I started popping these diazepams all the time, just for Sounds the flight initially. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> thinking that I'm popping them like, I think they're a melatonin. These are like probably the most, they're harder to get off than opiates. Whoa. Really? Yeah. The benzodiazepams are much harder. Yeah, so I started like self-medicating yeah. with these things. If a doctor gives you diazepam or Xanax, they should only give you a free day supply. Yeah. You take that drug longer than three days, Gonna, there's a good chance you could become addicted to it. Right. So I'm taking one of these every day for like a several years. And then one went to two, two went to three. Mm -hmm. And then, um, yeah, I reached a point in my life where these, um, I was actually addicted. Unknowingly at first, I became addicted to benzos. And then I st started throwing in some uh, painkillers in there, some tramadol painkillers. Oh, oh yeah, like from a knee injury. Right. And it was when I was like 29. 30, 31, like it started to affect my health. Like my performance in jiu-jitsu declined. My physicality, I shrunk. I went from being 90 kilograms to 70 kilograms. Ooh. And I just wasn't training hard anymore. It had a big effect on my my um, my personality as well. Yeah, Like everything, my, real, my life, I was like living the best life in the world. I went from being the shyest person to traveling the world, living the dream. And then all of a sudden it came crashing back down. And I was like... I was in a bad place. Yeah. Oh so after, um, <coughs> fact, the, the, the first part of the recovery is admitting you've got a problem. <laughs> finally one day, because my life was going, I was like a domino effect. It was just, everything was going so well, but I could see what was happening to me. And right. my friends around me could see what was happening. So finally I'm like, right, I got a fucking problem here. I'm going to have to like, I'm going to have to go back to England for a year and like tell my parents that I've got a problem and we're going to have to, you know, that was, that was, that was hard. Like I remember calling my mom in Australia and, um, just to check in and she's like, how's it going? I'm like, ah, not too good. And she's like, why? What's going on? I'm like, I'm addicted to painkillers. <laughs> oh, she wow. like knowing me, how healthy I am yeah. and like disciplined I am. She's like, she didn't believe it. She thought it was like a joke. I'm like, no, this is pretty bad actually. Right. She's like, how did this happen? I'm like, I don't know. It's just like one of those things. I just kind of just realized it now after mm. all these years. So I went back to England and they helped me withdraw. And that was the hardest year of my life. Were you in like a facility? No, we almost. I okay. almost went into a facility, but I also looked up that, um, I think this is correct, that, uh, what they, what's it called? The facility again? Rehab. Oh, rehab. rehab. They're like 95% relapse rate. And it's like $16,000 a month. What the it's fuck? It's expensive. It's yeah. a business. You look into that, it's something not right about all that because- yeah. It the push the make you withdraw within one month. If you're taking these kind of drugs every day for several years, one month no, is not it's enough. It's not safe to get one month. To, you know, that's not you know realistic. Right. You know? So I decided to um, stay in my parents' house and I, I laid out all of these pills I was taking. 
and they like got them, you know, put them in a safe that I didn't know the combination for. We found a doctor and he drew out a plan for me to follow, like to slowly taper down, you know, over the next year, year and a half, mm -hmm. how long it takes. So I managed to do that. That was a brutal year. You know, I didn't really have contact with anyone at that time. Like I was just focusing. I was like, cause it was, it really fucked me up. It, yeah, was, it was bad. It was, I couldn't sleep. I didn't really have energy. I didn't want to do anything. Definitely fall into a hole. Oh yeah. I was in a hole, you know? Um, you know, I had no girlfriend at the time, you know, I just, I was just like in my mom and dad's house and going for walks, trying to like do like, trying to stay healthy as much yeah. as I could, you know, go for long walks, listen to good music, watch positive films. I was still training jujitsu. I didn't want to. Mm -hmm. The hardest thing was getting out of bed and going to do something. You just didn't want to do it. So after a year, I managed to uh, withdraw. I managed to get all these drugs out of my system. But then you go through the initial withdrawals, but then you go through something uh, called post-acute withdrawal syndrome, which lasts quite a long time, maybe a what year, maybe two years. That's like... That's uh, your I've brain never, trying never to really rebalance. Hear that. Yeah, it's called pause. And it's like your brain, it takes a long time because these drugs um, help your brain release more dopamine, more serotonin, you know, all these different like, uh, is it like neurotransmitters? Yeah. So yeah, when you so. stop taking them, your brain doesn't produce it anymore, which is why you suffer from fatigue and depression. Mm. And it can take years to rebalance and for you to feel normal again, to feel happy again, to feel like your old self. Right. So I remember it was December 4th, 2016, I think. I was, that's the last time I took a, my, one of the last pills, but I was uh, still suffering with this craving, you know. I couldn't, like, I had a job offer in Singapore, and I'm thinking, if I go out to Singapore, I'm going to relapse. Right. You know, this is not a good idea. Like, I'm st all I can, I'm just going to bed at night, even though I'm several months clean by January, February, all I can think of, I'm having dreams about going in a pharmacy and buying some, <laughs> some of these pills in Thailand. So I could not go out to Singapore unless I fixed this. And then I kept coming across ayahuasca. Yeah. And how it's got uh, amazing benefits for addiction, you know, and depression, anxiety, like uh, all this stuff. You know, at first I heard about ayahuasca, but I just thought it was some kind of psychedelic experience you just do for fun. Mm -hmm. You go and see some machine elves or whatever it is. <laughs> so, um, I thought, fuck it. You know, I was in a pretty bad way still. I was like, right, what's the worst that could happen? So I found um, a shaman in Denmark. I flew out, told my mom and dad I was going to London for the weekend. Oh, you didn't and, tell um, them? No, no, because no, they wouldn't understand. You know, they yeah. just saw me get off drugs. And yeah. then there's me like telling oh, them to do some powerful psychedelic Yeah, drug. they think of the same thing. They wouldn't even know what it was. So I took the chance and went out to, um, they thought I was in London. I remember going up to Manchester. I um, took the 6 a.m. flight. You know, flew over to Copenhagen and from Copenhagen I met up with three random people I've never met in my life. <laughs> and they're going for their own separate reasons. We meet up at Copenhagen Airport and then we drive a three hour drive to a ferry point where you get a, a, a ferry over to an, a small island called Fimu. And there's only a hundred people that live in this island. And the reason they do it on this island is there's no police. So when they okay. do the ceremony, there's going to be no people interfering. <laughs> So um, I actually did the ayahuasca diet for about a month before, you know, which is like no meat, no caffeine, no stimulants. If you're doing something like ayahuasca, you have to make sure your body's completely clean, you know, like nothing in there at all. Yeah. And then, yeah. I hear you're supposed I to drink for like um, a year or something, no? What, the diet? The diet, yeah. Um, it, you would get even more benefits if you did do that. Okay. Uh, the longer you do it, the better. Okay, gotcha. So I only had a month to do it, but I can't explain what happened during those two nights. 
But I went in there a wreck, a shadow of myself. And two nights drinking ayahuasca, I was like, What did you feel? I need you to like play by play here. No, it's, Dan <laughs> I'm Hardy so fascinated. Said this, uh, Dan Hardy said something like, It's like we don't have the language to describe the, the experience yeah. you have. We don't have the words, you know, to explain to someone else what actually happens. And everyone has their own level of experience. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't see any like machine elves or anything like this, but you definitely have. Uh, there's something there. There's some kind of female presence, like entity that's like, I, I just can't put it into words. You know? And so, was it like, did you, so you were there for two days? Did you two days. sober, were you out of the ayahuasca experience for a little bit of it? Or was it the entire two days you were kind of experienced whatever so, you were going yeah, through? So yeah, we turned up in the morning and then you sit <laughs> around up. in a circle. There was 18 <laughs> people there, yeah. all there for different reasons. And we sit, that, that night we proceed to drink the ayahuasca and Does then, it happen right away? No, it probably takes about an hour or two hours to kick in. Okay. And um, how much do you drink? So the first night was more of a tester for everybody. Okay. So I had one glass the first. I think everyone had one glass to see how they react. And the first night, it was nice. I had one glass. It was a nice experience, but when I opened up my eyes, everything's still here. I'm still me. But when I close my eyes, I see a lot of patterns and colors okay, and okay. had good thoughts and a, a really nice experience. But it wasn't like, oh my God, it wasn't overwhelming. So the next night, the- Did one, you purge after the first night? Did you get sick? I went to the toilet a lot. I wasn't sick the oh, first okay. night though. Okay. Uh, actually, I wasn't sick that whole weekend actually. Really? No, I hear like, for me, thing. it was the other end. Yeah, I hear yeah. you're supposed to like shit and- Yes. Like, I, you're either going to throw up a lot or you're going to shit a lot or both. I would love to just so for me, it was the other end for whatever reason, <laughs> but it's a complete cleanse. Ugh. Then the second night, because um, I handled it pretty well, other people, they actually got fucked up off that one glass and they actually went home. Really? The day, yeah. Some, I remember one woman, I don't know what happened with her. She had a very, you know. Bad trip? Yeah. Maybe not bad. Maybe it's just very traumatic. Right. For her, so it brought some past traumas up, but she left right away. You know, I think she got what she wanted out of it. But for me, um, I, st- I felt good the next day. I didn't actually notice I had any cravings. I was like, oh, wow, I'm not craving anything today. And I feel pretty good, but still felt a bit tired, you know, still a little bit fatigued. Right. So the second night, I remember the shaman coming up to me, she goes, all right, I want to give you at least two glasses tonight. And you're talking regular, like a, a, con- like a glass, like, uh, like a regular no, drinking glass? No, it's actually like a, little, um, like a little wooden cup, mm-hmm. like, like yay big. Like yeah. A couple ounces yeah, or something? it's just like a little shot. Yeah, okay. But it tastes disgusting. Well, yeah, what does it taste like? Um, I can't like Dirt water? It's bad yeah it's bad do you it's have, hard do you, holding it down. is it you like have to hold it in for 20 do you shoot minutes. it or do you fucking just, just you just gotta down it you just, hold just it, it in for 20 minutes you have to hold it in because if you throw it up right away oh. you're not gonna get the experience so you have, they say try and hold it in for at least 20 minutes and then if you want to throw up you can you can do you know how it's does made? it taste like shit like is it like a it definitely doesn't like taste like, like shit. <laughs> <laughs> but it tastes fucking or is it like foul. woody and like like yeah, nature-y it's, just, or it's is so it like hard to describe. Feces. It gets the actually the first night I didn't have too much trouble drinking it. Okay. The second night I noticed how bad it was, but I did it a few times. I've done it a few times since then, you know. And each time we do it, just get. And I've heard this. Each time you drink ayahuasca, the taste just gets worse and worse and worse to the point where you're drinking it, you want to bath right away. Oh. This happened to me in Spain like, a few a few weeks afterwards where I, I did it so many times, I just couldn't hold it down anymore. Do you ever feel like doing it so many times lessens the effect of it? Um, like well, I've yourself? only, really in my lifetime, in the last few years, I've only done it five times, I okay. believe it is. And so. it's been just as strong every time? No. So that first night was a light experience. The second night where I had two glasses mm-hmm. and two hours in, I'm deep. Like I open <laughs> up my eyes 
and the room is fucking i'm still in the room but it's ge geometric patterns everywhere yeah. my hands are made up of geometric patterns like the shaman comes up to me and she's glowing of geometric patterns and it's like i could see everyone in the room it's like the shot there's free shaman in there they're like running around it's like everything it's like a speeded up black and white video it's like it was yeah it's tough yeah, to explain i know what you mean to explain and then she comes up DMT. to me and she goes do you want to go deeper and i'm like Pretty, yep. I'm pretty deep right <laughs> I'm now. I'm pretty deep, girl. And she goes, I think you should go deeper. I'm like, okay. So she gave me another glass. So I had three glasses. And that, at that point, I am disconnected from my body. I am oh. black. You're still you, but my consciousness is blasted off to another fucking dimension. But in it, it, for me, it was beautiful. It was like, it was an amazing experience. Right. Other people in the room, um, for whatever reason, you know, are screaming, crying. In a lot of physical pain you know one the guy to the left of me he was like sat upright on his yoga mat making snake noises hissing <laughs> like a snake another guy in the top right corner he's on all fours in the corner of the room like thinking he's a jaguar he's like making these jaguar sounds i'm like what is going on here? and so you're <laughs> yeah. at that point you're con you're aware enough to i'm aware of everything but everything's on. in yeah it's like you see another layer yeah. To think like, right, with our five senses, we see all this yeah. right now, but it's almost like it, it plugs you into a, you're tuning into a different frequency. And yeah. all, this, all this is still here, but there's another layer, several new layers. But it's not even like you hallucinate. It's like, this is real. But Holy I can always, shit. It's like, it, uh, see, like Dennis McKenna said it. It gives you a lens to see another world that's always there, but with our five senses, you just you can't, can't see it all the it. time. Yeah, that's so, exactly how I felt with the MT. Like, and like DMT, if, yeah. if you look like an like an ant or something, an insect that experiences their reality, they don't know we're here. They don't know what, what the fuck we're doing. They're just living their life, doing whatever the fuck they're doing. But this like there's a whole like there's other dimension, like this other shit that's this going on that like Stuart's saying with our five current senses that we have, we just don't have the you know ability to see it, experience it, yeah. Right? So that sounds like a fucking dope time. It sounds, yeah, yeah that sounds amazing. You never know what it's going to do. I, honestly, I think the reason I had such a positive ex experience is because the, the year, that year before, was brutal. Mm. It was fucking brutal. I was yeah. in a such dark place. And I think it, like, it, they say it gives you what you need. You know? ah. So maybe if I'd been an asshole that whole year and just treated people like shit. Yeah. Um, had a lot of things going on. I went in to do that experience. Maybe I would have like been freaking out, like you know, had a bad experience. You don't. Know? I mean, if I was to do it again, like tomorrow, who knows what the experience would be like? Right. Uh, after that weekend, um, I was so like just blown away about what happened. I remember going back to Manchester. My I had color in my face again. My mum noticed the difference in me right away. She's like, "Sure, like what happened this weekend?" I'm like, like London. Um, why? She goes, "You seem." like full of energy you seem like your old self again i'm like all i could think to say was a meta girl <laughs> oh, I'm a girl you know my mom's like all right you got laid you know? yeah. <laughs> did, your, did your family know now they do now it took me a year to tell them were they kind of yeah. well, um, i told my mom over skype when i was in singapore and uh she found the whole thing fascinating to hear she oh. couldn't believe she's like whoa she, had, she didn't even hear like, i'm in i'm gonna book yeah she was like yeah, I thought it was a really interesting story. And my dad, you know, he actually, I was i was surprised how well my dad took it. Yeah. You know, I thought maybe my dad would be like, why would you do something like that? But they can't, how can you like argue with something that helped me? Exactly. Like, like that brought me back. That actually saved my life. I was life. just going to ask, did you come back like to your old self after yeah, that? Yeah, I was my old self. Yeah, I felt like my old self. I felt ha the happiest I've ever felt. It's almost like it made me uh, realize what I had. 
you know? Right. And I just gotten down such a dark pathway that I'm, now I'm back. It made me just appreciate life so much. That following weekend, I wanted to do it again. I was like intrigued. I was like, right, I want to go further. <laughs> he got addicted to ayahuasca. <laughs> well, right. So this was a lesson itself, I think, because like I had an addiction problem. I was like so like just wanted to do it again. So I went out to Spain to a different retreat mm-hmm. to do ayahuasca again. Nothing happened. Ugh, this is like the nothing. next weekend, nothing. Really? Like and you just drank the shitty night, water. Guess how I had five glasses the second night. Dude. Nothing happened. And I think that was a lesson like, whatever it is, mother ayahuasca, like God, you, whatever it is, like, yo, slow the fuck down. Yeah. You don't need to be doing this. Yeah. Like, right. you, we just helped you. Yeah. Like, why you do you want to do it again? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, what did happen, the only thing that did happen is I was sick a lot mm. and I did go to the toilet a lot. Without um, any of the good uh, parts. Uh, I did that weekend, I did something, you can see the, can you see the marks on my shoulder here? Yeah. I did something called Cambo. And Cambo is a frog poison. Oh, I've heard of this. Yeah. Oh, so yeah, I did yeah, do yeah. that that weekend. And that was an interesting experience in itself. Not the most pleasant. It? No, they get a match and the, uh, they light the match. They, they dock it out and then they burn a few marks in your skin. Oh. And then they proceed. So it's like a, an open wound. And then they proceed to put the frog poison on those burn marks. And then you feel it hit you instantly. And the first minute, you actually feel like, whoa, wow, I feel pretty good. I feel full of energy. But then, oof, <laughs> you like proceed to throw up violently really? for like 20 to 30 minutes. And you have to drink six to seven liters of water to get the poison back out of you. Obviously, you can't hold that water in. Yeah. You're drinking, 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 drinking. And then you're throwing up, you're drinking, you're throwing up. Yeah. And after maybe 40 minutes... Your head swells up like a football. It like, goes bright red. You can barely see your eyes. Like, you, I remember going to the, looking in the mirror. I'm like, oh my God, I hope I don't fucking look like this for the rest of my life. Yeah. What's going on? And they said, no, no, it's normal. After a few hours, the swelling will go down. Um, but after an hour, I f- you feel fucking amazing. Really? You feel great. And they do this in the Amazon before, uh, in Peru, I think before they go hunting, you know, in the jungle to catch whatever it is, they catch like catch monkeys and stuff like that. They actually they give themselves just one, one little dab of cambo, and they say it sharpens the senses and gives you better reaction time. Honestly, I think that's true because I remember doing the cambo. I rolled jujitsu. It was two days after I rolled jujitsu. I felt sharp, hmm. you know, really sharp. So this cambo was that. After your second ayahuasca or That was before? My, after my second ayahuasca experience the following weekend. So I had my first ayahuasca experience, yeah. which really fixed me yeah. in Denmark. Um, and then the following weekend, I went out to Spain yep. and did ayahuasca two more times, but nothing uh-huh. happened. And I did Cambo. But uh-huh. then a weekend after that. So four I weeks wanted, in a row you're doing uh, Three weeks in a row I did something, yeah. But this time it wasn't ayahuasca. I kind of realized, right, I don't need to be doing ayahuasca right now. But still I was fascinated with, with these the psychedelics. Whole, right. Yeah. And um, that same shaman in Spain is like, right, we're doing another retreat next weekend in Nuki in the south of England. But we're doing something called San Pedro, which is the cactus. He said, I think this could really help you, like, uh, take the lessons from ayahuasca and integrate it into your life. So you do ayahuasca at night. Mm-hmm. With San Pedro, you do it in the morning. And it's a cactus. So you wake up in the morning, maybe 8 a.m., on empty stomach, you fast all night, and then you drink, like, a pint glass of this green goo. <laughs> and again, it tastes horrible, not as bad as the ayahuasca, though. You drink that, and then it's very mellow. Very mel- very nice, more thoughts. You don't really, things, you know, everything's still here, things distort, but yeah, that was a very pleasant experience as well. And yeah. that, that, had a, that definitely had a big effect to me as well. I just felt great for, 
honestly, a full, that, that full year, I just felt so different, you know, just felt so like appreciative of everything. And then that's when I went out to Singapore and restarted my life, you know, ended up in Singapore for a year, went back to Tiger Muay Thai, ended up being the head coach there for two years. And now here I am in Vancouver. So wow. It's been a while. So you're still riding the wave. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> right, like my life since I left England when I was 25, mm -hmm. now I'm 35. The last 10 years of my life has been fucking crazy. <laughs> Holy shit, it's been a like crazy it. 10 years. It sounds like Ups a bit. I feel downs, like but great, you're you know? so on this process of learning just like who you really are and like what yeah. you want out of life and being like more spiritual, not in the hippie way, but <laughs> yeah, in a good um, way. In a good way. In a good, way, in a good yeah. way. It's funny that you said that you the second time you did ayahuasca, nothing happened. And it's like mother ayahuasca telling you to chill the fuck out. Yeah. I didn't realize it's so subjective like that. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, it's like you don't need it. You really won't. Like yeah, I tried DMT it. again right. this weekend and nothing, nothing happened. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I tried it for the first time and I, just I didn't haven't have seen a full you laugh that hard in yeah. my life. It's, it's, just, it's really interesting how I thought like, I was a comedian. What, like, <laughs> maybe it could, be, it could be I have a bad, like not the strongest batch of DMT. But I'm definitely gonna have to try ayahuasca because that shit. Yeah. yeah. Especially right now where I am in life, like oh, I just feel that that's just like stuffy time. I, I believe. I believe that like right now in this fucking podcast studio, there's a whole nother layer of reality that oh, we yeah. aren't able to experience right now, which is like this crazy. It's, it's so it's crazy. It blows my fucking about. mind. Like, you know, there's just like maybe aliens are like right here, right now doing their own thing that we're just not aware of. Like <laughs> yeah. we're the ants to them. Yep. 100%. You know what I mean? So I'm just fucking pumped. I'm going to have to get the information wow. from you after this yep. of where you went, when we're allowed to go. It really came full circle. Yeah. That's <laughs> the way we do things over here Holy at PNC, shit. baby. And there is a few places in Vancouver that do it. But are those places like I'm not legit, sure how legit. Is it illegal exactly. to do? Are they legit? I don't know. I've not looked into so. them. Is it illegal to do ayahuasca? Because you were saying that that in, one island that you first went to has no cops. It's a religious Definitely thing in Brazil. Area, okay. Um, in most countries, it's illegal. That's that's something that kind of was fucked up. Like at the end of it all, what almost <laughs> took my life from me was something that was prescribed to me, and I had to break the law and do something illegal to get my to life get back, back on wow. track. Crazy. Wow. I wonder people think of these conspiracies all the time. Yeah, right. No, I'm not sure if it's that. I just think the government don't really know what it is. Yeah, and you so know? they're scared of having people. Yeah, but it does. It makes you think differently. I'm not sure what the backstory of LSD was, but when they first brought LSD out, and they were given some clinical trials, it made people not want. To, this is what I heard. Yeah, it made people not want to go to war anymore. They started questioning. Yeah all this hate and all this violence. So they're like, all right, let's get this fucking it's LSD cla out of here. class one yeah. drug now. Yeah. Because the same thing about all the drugs, like I heard like even with like marijuana, like hemp used to be the main source of paper. And like even like, like Mona Lisa was painted on hemp before it was canvas. And there was some business guy that was like in the paper industry and he's like put out a story or something. I'm really paraphrasing this probably awfully, but the point is that he put out a story that like African-Americans and, and Mexicans were on this new drug called marijuana and raping white people. And so they made marijuana illegal. So hemp was then illegal as well. So you couldn't, so then the paper industry could then take off because now, you know, you couldn't, people, hemp was just not, was just completely illegal. Right. So there's always, not always, but there's usually some kind of like financial back incentive, incentive mm -hmm. to like yep. make a drug class one or whatever. Cause look at marijuana now, like that was like maybe a hundred or something years ago. And now marijuana is like, you know, shit's every fucking where. Yeah. And then, you know, maybe mushrooms hopefully will be next because it's, it's legal in, in, um, 
Colorado, I believe. Yep. Yeah, they just so, legalized it and they you know, decriminalized it. Yeah, exactly. And so maybe in another hundred years, ayahuasca will be like in like the convenience <laughs> stores, you know? <laughs> you, take, you know, you take it, like we'll have ayahuasca like clubs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's just interesting to see that, that could the could be a bad thing, though, right? Because if, yeah. if it does get commercial like that, it's going to get watered down. Mm. Oh, it's going to totally. be the real stuff, you know? Like like marijuana now, like you have to really look for the good stuff. Yeah. Right? There's lots of like cheap versions of CBD and. You know, so yeah, it's almost like good if it stays in that gray area. Yeah, it's illegal well, for, for us. I mean, always better when there's it's so many conservatives, conservatives out there who will be listening and be like, "Oh my God, I can't believe you're a proponent of this illegal yeah. narcotic." No, mm-hmm. it's like, well, you know, different strokes, different folks. It is what it is. But I mean, fuck. I think hopefully, like our, like you said, we get one life, one shot at it. It's so short our time here. Like if so there's more short, to experience, right? if there's more to fucking you know enlighten us or whatever i'm all for that shit as long as you're being safe yeah exactly you have a shaman or whatever around people that you love in good environments yeah and they can you know pull you out of it if you're going down a rabbit hole Mm -hmm. i would definitely say find the right if you want to do it find someone you know maybe speak to someone that's had an experience with that particular shaman or that retreat is very important because you just don't know. There's a lot of people out there with good intentions, but uh, I did one in Vietnam, and the so-called shaman was a Polish woman. It just—I think it, she was fake. Because you know? again, nothing happened there, and yeah. it was—it uh, wasn't what my first experience was like. Do you have to pay for these retreats? Yeah. So okay. my one in Denmark, the one that literally like saved my life, yeah. it was 350 euro. <laughs> <laughs> I had to pay for flights. Flights weren't that much actually. Manchester mm. to Copenhagen, but I could have got—I could have got into rehab. And, and paid, paid sixteen thousand pounds, I think it was actually. It's like twenty thousand Canadian dollars. Oh my god! Or three hundred and fifty euro yeah. <laughs> for a weekend. Fucking crazy. But how do you like? How so would you right. know? Like, is there like a a Yelp for ayahuasca? Like, you know what I mean? Like, how how do you have to go from word of mouth? Like, I'll just uh, talk to word you. Word of mouth like, at first. How did I? I don't know how I came did across. You Google my, it, like retreats of ayahuasca. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah I've done Google it before. It. But like, yeah. but you, how do you know who's what you're getting? Yeah, I got like put a sponsored a, ad or whatever. A Facebook group actually by one of my friends. So one of my friends, another black belt called Nick Gregoriades, he's done ayahuasca many times. Yeah. So I asked him about it. I reached out to him, and he's like, "Right, I'm going to put you in this group. It's a closed Facebook group, so only they can add you." Yes. You know, and I think they ask you a few questions, make sure you're not someone undercover. Right. Yeah. And then once you're in that group, they only post legit mm. retreats. I have to get the name of this Facebook group off yep, air. <laughs> yeah. Um, Nolan, I yes. think it's time. It's for oh, let's, let's, let's explain to Stuart what happens here. So at the end of every episode, we um we play a little game. The game switches up every now and again. It's uh basically this is Nolan's thing. Like he, thing. he comes I, up with like something. started it. But mine was kind of like this average. Kinda like weird. But yeah. he, like, he's a game guy. I'm the gamer. Okay. And then, so we play a game. And I, you know what? We have all these buttons here. I don't know what one Let's does what. Let's try another button. So we're going to press a button. Yep. And then we're going to play a game. Are you ready? Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, that one, okay. that one was very apropos for our last, our last conversation. Nolan, take it away. Yep. So um, today we're going to be playing a little bit of a trivia game. Mm. Yeah. I'm so good at trivia, bro. Just to set you guys' see how smart you guys are. All right? And these ones are made for kids. Do we just answer like we just answer quickly or do we have to like raise our hand or some shit? Um, Does he yell it into the mic? I didn't think about that. Just, yeah, if you know the answer, just yell. Okay, boom. I'm going to roast you, Stuart. (laughs) Fucking murder you. Okay, ready? Wait, let me just pull up my questions. Okay. Always prepared. 
Okay. Talk, talk so yourself. in California, mm -hmm. you can't legally buy a mouse trap without having what? A mouse what? A mouse trap. Uh, a mouse. Nope. A house. Nope. License. Ooh. A hunting license. Oh wow! What wow. you can't buy a mouse trap without having a fucking hunting wow. license? Yep, in California. What kind of bullshit American <laughs> shit is going on there, man? <laughs> Coprastatastophobia is a fear of what? Oprah. No. Say no. again. Why is it? Coprastatastophobia. Um, uh, safety pins. Nope. Envelopes. Nope. Phobia of. Mm. Oh my god. Clowns. Bright lights. Constipation. What? Oh, right. Wow. <laughs> How'd you find that one? In <laughs> Texas, it's illegal to swear in front of what? Uh, a Texas Ranger. Nope. A child. Oh, that's good, actually. Nope. A black dude? Nope. Mm, a police officer? Did I say that already? No, you didn't, but no. no. Illegal to swear in front of women? Oh, I was like, fuck. He's, he thinks a yeah, lot. Yeah, he's it. good. I just like come up with random thoughts Fucking and it's like Tourette's it out. <laughs> a corpse. What? Oh, wow. <laughs> it's illegal. Are these real facts? Yeah, we need, dude. We need like, fucking like Joel here to fact check this shit. It's in illegal to swear in front of a corpse. Yeah. Like a dead body. Can't Who's going to fucking tell? Who's going to fucking rat you out on that one? I don't know. Like the fucking. <laughs> All right. The dead body? <laughs> okay. No. This is, I'm calling bullshit. I'm going to have to fucking Google that one later. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> In a website browser address bar, what does WWW stand for? World Wide World Web. Wide. Okay. Oh, that was one for Great. me. <laughs> What's the rarest M&M color? Ooh, red. Nope. Blue. Nope. Purple. Nope. Brown. Brown. Hey. Damn. Really? In what year were the first Air Jordan sneakers released? 85? Close. 86. 86. No. 84. 84. Ooh. Fuck. You watch that Jordan fucking documentary on Netflix? No, I need to watch this it's one. It's fucking good. Yeah, Especially if you're like my age. I don't you know. You're close to my age. Right? Yeah, he's just yeah. kind of a dickhead, but like he's like such a fucking competitor. Yeah. Like, and he, that whole Air Jordan brand is like insane. Netflix, right? I think so. Yeah. It's yeah, good. I think it's Netflix. Um, What singer's real name is Stephanie Joanne Angel Angelina Germanotta? Uh, Gwen Stefani. No. Fuck, that was a good guess. Anastasia? No. Anastasia? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> what is He's mean? British. He's oh, British. <laughs> <laughs> Kylie Minogue. No. Fuck. Um, oh, um, oh, fuck, what's that girl's name? Nicki Minaj? No. Is that a rapper? No. Can you say her name again? One more time. Yeah. Adele. Stephanie Joanne Angelina Germanata. Germanata? Oh. The chick from No Doubt. That's Steph against Gwen Stefani. Oh, yeah, that is, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah that was this, this guy. <laughs> we give up. Lady Gaga. Oh, Lady, Gaga. Uh, Lady Gaga. All right. I think we had enough. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> that was good. Well, Stuart, thank you for um, coming on the podcast. Um, how, can, how can people find you? What's your YouTube channel? And what is uh, your Instagram, my Twitter? My channel is Stuart Cooper Films. And my Instagram is the same. Stuart oh. Cooper Films. I have a Facebook page, and then yeah, Ooh, people. Oh, you got a Facebook page. Yeah, got the YouTube, you're gonna get Instagram. You're gonna get Facebook someone page. creeping the shit out of you in the next 100%. 20 minutes here. Oh, wait, over to my left. You might <laughs> have to block him. There's gonna be a lot of comments. There's gonna be a lot of likes. <laughs> like, I took this photo in 2012. Why are you liking it? Yeah, uh, it freaks me out when I see. It. I look at my Instagram and some random dudes gone liked like 20 likes. That might be Nolan. Whoa. No. Fuck <laughs> <off. laughs> okay, Nolan, take over. Anyways, um, <laughs> it's been another great episode of PNC. You can find us at Nolan.
Nolan Prasad yeah. at Akiokaya on Instagram or our podcast Instagram at PNC underscore podcast. Thank you guys for listening. Have a great day, guys. Be safe. Play the song. Play the thing. Play the thing. This one? Yeah. Or the, which one? I don't know. Choose. <laughs> Definition <laughs> of this podcast. Bye. <laughs> <Nice. laughs>